Coming up in this podcast, Collier Homes, three private companies get taken over, office leasing deals, and chief executive salaries. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News, with Mark Panel and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Hi, I'm Mark Beyer. And I'm Dan Wilkie. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Dan, one of the state's oldest home builders has a new owner. Who is it and what's their plan? Um, yeah, I thought I'd come in with something a little bit different this week and talk about some good news happening in residential construction. Um, so if you've been listening for the, the past few weeks, um, it's been a bit gloomy in that state, in that space. But uh, listeners may recall a few weeks ago, Collier Homes, which has been running in WA since around uh, since 1959, that was caught up in the collapse of family first Senator Bob Day's Home Australia Group. But this week, there's some good news for the 29 families and, and all the employees of Collier Homes as construction industry veteran Dario Amara has stepped in and bought the company. Uh, Dario, he's had some prominent roles in WA's construction industry, um, most notably with John Holland and Wittens, while he's also run BGC's joint venture with POSCO for a year between 2012 and 2013. And he's also got a strong family connection to the industry. He's got fond memories of visiting construction sites with his father. So it seems like he's a good fit to revive the brand. Um, it's only early days so since the transaction The transaction just settled uh, this week, but Dario says his priority is to contact all the former staff of the company, get them back on board, while at the same time offering the affected home buyers the chance to recontract with the builder. So within the industry, it's been pretty gloomy uh, this year as builders adjust to a 20% plus drop in activity. Uh, it's refreshing to hear, hear a bit of a positive story emerge because when I was talking to him, it seems he's really got some passion for the industry and he's really going to be quite hands-on in re- rebuilding Collier Homes to what it, what it was. Um, and he's bringing in his son as well. So it's going to be sort of a, a real family-style business to deal with families who are buying homes. So well, pretty good we, news. We wish Dario and the family best of luck. Yeah, it's going to be um, pretty interesting to watch um, because, yeah, the, the, the industry is under pressure. So it'll be interesting to see what he does there. Now, also this week, Mark, uh, we've seen three quite prominent WA businesses get taken over. Is this some sort of a trend emerging here? Yeah, look, interesting when you get a cluster of deals around the same time. Uh, Sea Lanes is a fourth-generation family business down in South Fremantle, uh, food services and ship supplies. They sold out to a national food services group backed by a private equity firm. Um, The same private equity group, Quadrant, has got a national tourism venture. They've bought Rotnest Express. So interesting to see private equity taking a punt in an uncertain market about opportunities. Uh, And the third deal, Diab Engineering. They're a big family-owned business up in Geraldton, about 500 people. They did very well during some of the big mining construction projects. They've been bought out by BGC Contracting. So I guess the common element there is uh, three businesses with family ownership all had a strong niche, but they're all uh, in, 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 in isolated markets. Western Australia is a very small isolated market and they've all seen value in getting into bed with a, a bigger uh, partner or a bigger shareholder with a strong balance sheet. So you know, it's a shame in a way when you see a long-running family business um, not continue in that way. Um, we don't have a lot of long-running family businesses in this state. But you know, commercial reality speaks and in these cases Uh, Those three groups have all decided that there's a a better future for those businesses as part of a larger organisation. So it'll be interesting to see how they pan out under new ownership. 
And Dan, back to you. There's been a few office leasing deals in the CBD. What's happening there? Yeah, tenants, are, uh, they're really starting to move on some uh, really prime positions in the Perth CBD. Um, if anyone's been watching that market, um, they'd realise that there's quite a bit of space available, for, more than 400,000 square metres of it, in fact. And actually, some data from wider research that came out earlier this year shows that half of the buildings in the CBD have some sort of a vacancy in them. So it's pr- pretty startling, the amount of vacant space. Um, but law firm Gilbert and Tobin, they were the latest to move. They've signed on for the top floor at Brookfield Place Tower 2. That's followed four new tenants moving into Exchange Tower this year, RSM, Airup, Fujitsu and Moore Stevens. While over on the other side of the city, the first office tenant has moved into KS1, uh, the, 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 uh, the main building at King Square that's been sitting empty for about a year now. Tease has moved in, but they've only taken up one floor, so you can't really call them an anchor tenant yet. Um, John Holland has finally moved into KS3 as well. So there's a bit of leasing success there. Um, leasing down there is being handled by Sheffield Property Group's Digby Sutherland, and I spoke to him earlier this week, and he says he's very confident of securing an anchor tenant for KS1 in 2017. Um, he wouldn't share the identity of who that possibly could be, but it's known that Westpac is out looking, Telstra's out looking, and uh, Inpex, they're all looking for more than 5,000 square metres of space. They're all a possibility. So the next few months will be pretty interesting to watch there. But and, um, and Just on that, Dan, I mean, you make the point as well in your article that despite the very high vacancy rate, for those tenants looking for the very large amounts of office space, there actually aren't all that many options. Yeah, I mean, when you want 5,000 square metres, you want them all in f- floors that are next to each other. Um, and most of the buildings, as I said, they do have a vacancy, but it'll be one or two floors. So, so there's not many options for these big space eaters. So you'd think that King Square One would be a prime option. It's just been built. I'm sure that there'd be a great fit-out deal and incentives involved. Um, so it boggles my mind that it's still sitting there empty. But with construction coming to a close at Yagan Square and Wellington Street finally being opened up next year, um, that could create a bit of momentum down there to, to, to get an anchor tenant in. But what these all, all the moves really show is tenants with expiring leases, they're in the box seat. Um, prime locations are opening up at really competitive prices, so it's really shaping up as the perfect time to move. So Mark, um, the feature for our paper that's coming out this week, it's our annual survey of chief executive remuneration. Who's come out on top there? Yeah, look, I always enjoy doing this one. Been doing it for many years. Um, one of the fascinating things about, um, if you look through annual reports, there's an, an amazing level of detail about remuneration, and yet it's often really hard to work out exactly what's going on. I'll give you a prime example. Uh, Nev Power, according to the statutory report, he earned a very tidy $5.3 million. So he's up there around the top, as you'd expect, chief executive of one of the state's biggest and most successful companies. And yet, if you look at his, what they call his actual income, or take-home pay, $8.5 million. So there are remarkably different way, numbers depending on how you measure remuneration. Uh, the other person that sits up the top for the record, Peter Coleman at Woodside, statutory remuneration, $7.5 million. So yeah, there's your base salary, there's your annual bonus, there's your share options and other equity incentives in there. Um, as part of this, we looked at the newly appointed chief executives and, just, and we looked at the base salary an amazing range for listed companies, down to about 140,000 as your starter, up to 1.4 million at Iluka Resources. And 
we calculated the median right in the middle there, just under 300,000. So that gives you a guide as to the kind of salaries that are going around for a chief executive. One thing that was highlighted in this year's survey, some of the people at the top end of town have a remarkable ability year in, year out to get very big bonuses. You know, most of us think of a bonus as something special if you've done an extraordinary performance. The reality is, if you're the chief executive of a large company, you actually have to do something badly wrong to not get your annual incentive payment. So people like Peter Coleman, it's another $2 million a year as an annual bonus. Bronte House and at Automotive Holdings Group. So anyway, it's all there in the next edition of Business News out this week. So you can read that, lots of data and even more data on our website. In fact, 2,500 people, we've got remuneration details for them. So go for your life, digging into that and having some fun. No, it's a, it's a fascinating read. I've, I've had the, uh, the sneak preview of it um, and uh, I, you should look forward to it on Monday. But I just wanted to ask, Mark, obviously the names at the top, they're, they're going to be pretty constant. They're going to be the, the guys that are running some of the most prominent companies in WA. But were there any surprises on, on the list? Did, did anyone throw up and you go, wow, He's earning that. Yeah, look, there's some of the some very small tech companies where the chief executives and other directors have been issued share options. Now, at the time they were issued, they were given a high valuation, often north of a million dollars, and yet the share prices collapsed. So it's a it's a snapshot in time that can be quite misleading. And the other one in that case, Wellard, very prominent float last year. At the time the options were granted. They were very valuable. Their share prices collapsed, so you can be sure that those options aren't worth anywhere near the same amount now. But anyway, that's it for now. Um, On a final note, just say to our listeners, don't forget, entries for our 40 Under 40 Awards close this week on Wednesday. So you've got a few more days if you're thinking about entering the 40 Under 40 Awards. That's it from me, Mark Beyer. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Bayer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud. <laughs>